0: god what did i assign for you oh right (laughs) it's like what did you what did we watch for me this week (laughs) the best movie ever Hello, everybody, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the show where we connect academic ideas to popular culture, assign your homework, and hopefully make it fun in a way it never was in high school. I am Martha Sullivan, one of your lovely co-hosts. Today, I am fresh off of the arena doing uh, my rounds as a squid kid and carrying my team on my back. What are you doing? Doing people in the Splatoon Arena. Uh, I am joined today, uh, as always, by...
1: Uh, I'm Pete Romberg, and as of an hour and a half ago, I am officially registered for my neighborhood's 24-hour bike relay race. Uh, I've done it almost every year. I've lived in Milwaukee. It's a great time, best weekend of the year, and they just had the big raffle for um, uh, to get people registered um, so I've got two teams going this year with a bunch of friends, and they're both in. So we're looking good for the end of July.
0: Are you, you going to be the one who gets tattooed again?
1: Probably. I've, nice. I've got three of those at this point, so I might as well keep going. Uh, also, it's a weekend. <laughs> it is one week before my wedding, so it's going to be a great whirlwind of bike a lot, family, get married, good end of July, beginning of August.
0: Uh, my husband played hockey until midnight the night before our wedding, so if God. you want to ask anybody about what that feels like. <laughs>
1: I've uh, at least got a week in between, that, that'll that be nice.
0: Oh, fine, yeah. that's amateur hour. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and we are joined today by a very special guest, Pat Whaley. Pat, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what uh... qualifies you to talk about popular culture?
2: Uh, I don't know. I, I I pretty much live and breathe and marinate in popular culture. Um, I, I I do a podcast called Forty Go Forty Going on Fourteen with three of my friends from college. Um, maybe you've heard of it. Probably not. Um, well,
0: actually, listeners may remember that uh, previous guest Josh Brown is one of your co-hosts on Forty Go Fourteen. That so is you are- correct. You are not the first uh, 40 Going On 14 uh, host that we have had. We are delighted to... Just the best one.
1: (laughs) And the most humble. Exactly.
0: We are delighted to continue uh, this fruitful partnership between podcasts.
2: I'm glad to be here.
0: So we like to start our podcast by showing off our pop culture credentials. Basically, what qualifies us to talk about pop culture in any sort of knowledgeable way. Uh, This is the last piece of pop culture that we consumed uh be that a song or a book or a comic uh unedited for guilty pleasure factor. Uh Pete, would you like to start us off? Sure.
1: Janelle Monáe just put out a new album. I think this was yes. two weeks ago. <sighs> Dirty Computer. It is phenomenal. Um it includes the best Prince song since The Purple Rain album. Um, and I've been listening to it a lot, and I was just listening to it before we started recording this.
2: Which Prince song uh, is that? Uh,
1: well, like it's not an actual Prince song. It's just her song sounds exactly like Prince. Oh, um, <laughs> in in a good way. Like it is the the best Prince song I've heard since you know, Purple Rain. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> I, thought, I thought you meant it was a cover.
1: No, no, it 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 might as well be. But she nice. is just she is the reincarnation of Prince. And she is. Check she out the so video. Yeah, yeah.
0: My my Twitter feed has been blowing up since the interview that she did with... Um, Rolling Stone. Yeah, where she comes out as pansexual.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, my Twitter feed has been just all heart eyes emojis over her for good reason, I think. She is wonderful.
1: Yes, she is. I I heard her described as literally the best at everything where each word was a link to like she's in this movie or this movie or like wrote this did this album and it's all solid gold
0: yeah she seems to be someone for whom she just decides to do something and then she's the best at it Mm -hmm. um i'm actually gonna go next because uh related pete for maybe the well not the first time but well actually no for the first time, my pop culture credential is a music video. What? I know, right?
1: Is it Childish Gambino? Uh,
0: it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs>
2: it I haven't is watched the- that one yet. I just I just saw it on Reddit. I haven't watched it though.
0: It's wonderful. Um <laughs> yeah, Childish Gambino just dropped a brand new music video for a song called This Is America. And it is Donald Glover, as you have never seen him before. I'm pretty sure uh he is i I saw something on Twitter about how um you know he's evolving in front of us, like everything he does is an evolution of the last thing that he did uh and this video is um, I don't know well. It is probably an indictment of our America, um, but also in a very catchy way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I have watched it a couple of times already, and I only first ran across it as I was checking Twitter this morning.
1: The best way to describe him in it is hypnotic.
0: Yes, the, the way that he dances is very, um, yeah, hypnotic is a really good word for it.
2: Are, are you both aware of how he got that name, Childish Gambino?
0: Wasn't it one of those algorithms that like mixes up the letters in your name?
2: Uh, no, it was the the Wu Tang name generator.
0: <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> that is he, amazing. He put in
2: Donald Glover in the Wu Tang name generator, and it came up Childish Gambino, and he's like, "Done." <laughs> That's amazing.
0: That's phenomenal. Uh, someday I will get caught up to Atlanta. Uh, that day is not today. i are caught up in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Donald Glover. This was, like, the weekend for Donald Glover, because he also hosted SNL last night. So, like, he is... is, and, and apparently did a good job at it. I only saw one sketch. It was funny. Um,
2: yeah, I, I've been I've been kind of... Uh, I've been preloading him on YouTube to mm-hmm. watch, but I haven't watched any of the SNL stuff yet.
0: Well, and I mean, it's really easy to go back... To, it's really easy to forget how good he was in community. Oh. Yeah. Because... Even, I mean, the the role that he was playing could feel like a very kind of basic, easy joke machine. Um, but I think it's it's more complex than that. And everything he's done after that has just been, you know, it's 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 like uh, like Twitter has told me, he is just in a a state of continual evolution, mm-hmm. which I think is really impressive.
2: That's one of the reasons why he left Community before it was over. He didn't want to get uh, caught in a rut.
1: Well, and, I and assume very, assume we... I'd say
2: he's, he's, he's definitely succeeded in that
1: yeah
0: absolutely
1: regardless of how we feel about the solo movie uh, or how it will turn out to be I am super excited for him as Lando
0: listen I didn't think I cared about that movie but I continuously cry watching the trailers so clearly I do care very deeply <laughs> about that
2: movie I, I'm a purposely avoiding any kind of anything about it I don't want to watch any trailers or nothing I'm just going to go in fresh
1: yeah I mean i am I'm super going to go see it so
2: yeah, I'm That's 100% going to see it, so there's no reason for me to watch a trailer. I don't care. <laughs> I do on, on certain movies I do that I avoid all the trailers cuz I'm like it's not going to I'm not going to have anything ruined for me. I know I'm going to see it. It's not going to talk me into seeing it. I've like already it, decided I'm going to see it. It's
1: got Star Wars in the title. I'm sold.
2: Exactly. You know, I mean they could they could do, you know, I don't know, Star Wars The the alphabet or something. I don't know. They they could
1: do a a silly idea where they write uh, prequel movies to A New Hope, and I don't know why anyone would, like, make that decision, but, like, they (laughs) could
0: do that. But, you know, if they ever do that,
2: if if they ever do that, I hope they do it right.
0: (laughs) The Ewok movie part two. (laughs) Oh, God.
2: (laughs) I am not a hater of Ewoks, even though
0: I'm... Yeah, I got... Look, as a small child, the Ewok movie was absolutely more important to me than actual Star Wars. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I just I, I I think there's there's I mean there's nothing wrong with showing that a great power can be taken down by simplistic you know non technology because I mean that that's kind of a, been a theme in 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 literature for a while War of the Worlds for instance I mean it's just you know mm-hmm. that's not it's mm-hmm. not exactly you know a, a a a hockey you know a hackneyed scheme or anything I mean that's a that's a standard theme. Mm-hmm.
0: Pat, why don't you tell us about uh, your most recent pop culture? Uh...
2: Well, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna use uh, Repo because I just watched that. I, I started that at like uh, 11 o'clock this morning, so I'm yeah. not gonna Home- use that. one.
0: Homework doesn't yeah, count, the unspoken, which is nice. Yeah, exactly. the unspoken I, I... agreement is that our homework doesn't count
1: <laughs> because okay, the other right, unspoken I... agreement is we're all doing the homework immediately before, much like <laughs> much like in school, you put it off well, to the last minute. Well, I
0: did. I did my neuromancer
2: homework decades ago, and you know. <laughs> Out
1: of the <laughs> nerves. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, exactly. I knew this day was coming. Uh, no, so I will say that the 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 what I watched before that was an episode of Parks and Rec, because Yay. we we just did a, a an episode for my podcast on Parks and Rec, and I uh, had started watching from the beginning again. And by the time we did the podcast, I hadn't gotten through all of them. But I'm not going to just stop in the middle of season five, so I'm just plucking my way through it.
0: So, uh, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your, what was your, um, if Parks and Rec is the modern thing for that podcast episode, what is your early?
2: Oh, we, uh, we tagged it up with News Radio. Oh, okay. An mm-hmm. uh, ensemble cast led by a uh, Midwestern lead. You know, like, we, we, sure. We, 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 we kind of shoehorned anything we could to, to watch Parks and Rec.
0: Because he wanted
2: to watch Parks and Rec. Well, Joel, Joel had never seen Parks and Rec. We wanted to make him watch it because he wasn't going to do it on his own. So we're like, we have to come up with a show topic. And I, we we were we had, a, uh, we had guiding light at first was what somebody else came up with. And then I came up with news radio. And we're like, that's close enough. Let's do it.
0: Joel has never seen Parks and Rec?
2: He didn't until I, until the podcast. Well, now he no. has. Yeah. I
0: don't understand.
2: Right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that bugged us so much. We made a whole show about it just to make him watch it. <laughs>
0: and true. now he loves it. And- yeah, I was going to say I have amazing. no idea what that's like. Um, <laughs> ask Ask Pete Ask Pete how many young adult novels I've made him read for this oh. uh, the purposes of this podcast.
1: <laughs> the number of YA novels. Oh, you're I there, read... Pete. It's me, Martha.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the number we of haven't YA read novels Judy Bloom read.
0: yet, but I'm filing that one away for later. Mm.
2: Um, I, I I I with no shame in my voice, I will tell you that I read a million Judy Bloom novels when I was younger.
1: Uh, I, that's how, that's different? that's how I ended up so
2: in touch with my feminine side.
1: <laughs> the market was also way less saturated then.
2: Well, true. Yeah, I was I was, uh, I would read anything back then though. I, I back in the day I was a voracious reader, so not so much anymore
0: okay. since I had to get glasses.
2: I, I don't read as much.
0: Um. All right. Uh. So we are going to be talking today about vice and before we get into anything i wanted to do a quick little definition um just because this is one of those words that can can change based on the the context that you're using it in i think so just straight up and down the merriam-webster dictionary defines vice as immoral or wicked behavior criminal activities involving prostitution pornography or drugs or an immoral or wicked personal characteristic. Guys, I screwed up. I thought this episode was about
1: clamps that you can like, you know, have <laughs> in a workshop, uh, to like hold things in place. Whoops.
2: You did all kinds of research on the robot from from Futurama. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Weirdly Want me enough. To clamp him? Weirdly enough, Pete, I think your homework works in either context. <laughs> um, so... uh, Actually, on that note, Pete, why don't you start us off? What did you have us read on the theme? Oh, wait, yeah, Do you want to go through the, uh, Scratch the questions? that. Cool. Um, before that, uh, we have a couple of discussion questions that we're going to use as sort of our guiding light huh, uh, for <laughs> the following episode. Um, and these questions broadly are going to be, how are the main characters in our stories driven by Vice? Uh, what role is Vice playing in the stories that we looked at? Uh, Are these stories glorifying or uh, are they glorifying or vilifying vice as a character motivation? And is there a distinction to be made between vice and addiction? Um, With that in mind, Pete, why don't you start us off by telling us what you assigned for our episode today?
1: Cool. Um, I assigned the 1984 sci-fi novel Neuromancer by William Gibson. Um, It's commonly thought of as if not the, then certainly one of the defining and originating works of the cyberpunk genre. Um, so The Matrix is taking a whole lot of things from Neuromancer. Um, basic premise is it's in the future. Uh, some hacker is uh, fished out of Osaka to pull a run where he has to, he finds out that he's being employed by an artificial intelligence on a space station to combine it with another artificial intelligence uh, to make a super intelligence, um, but it's it's your classic, uh, noirish cyberpunkish bunch of people going on a run. Some of them are hackers. Some of them are, you know, street samurai, razor girls, other crazy stuff. Um, the language that he created for this book, which I know Martha was a huge sticking point for you, has become sort of like the common currency for, uh, like, the lingua franca of any cyberpunk infused genre um
0: don't put words in my mouth i can explain my own personal failings without you doing it for me (laughs)
1: that's that's fair that's fair and i'll let you get to that soon um i i chose this because a i wanted to read it again um i've read it a handful of times over the years honestly this time it kind of stuck with me like i i liked it the least uh if only because i don't think many parts of it have aged terribly well um not just the technology but just like the the point of view and the way certain characters are written um but also because vice is such an integral part to so many cyberpunk stories and um like quasi-dystopian but definitely like techno future aspect like uh, uh, worlds like that um not only is is you know the rampant drug use and all the rest body modification um but also the main character is definitely uh like sort of addicted to hacking. Um, His vice is not just hacking, but also just sort of like the grind of doing business. Um,
0: Well, and that's how... There's lots of angles to it. That's how he gets kind of hoodwinked.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's how he is controlled, basically.
1: Right. He he was burned literally um, years earlier so that he wasn't even able to hack anymore. This new employer comes up and is like, hey, we can fix you. You can use the internet again. Um, but then we're going to, then you have to do this job for us. Um,
0: yeah, so I didn't finish this book. Um, I thought about, how how far along did you um, get? Um, I got about halfway through. Okay. And I didn't finish it, not because I like decided I wasn't going to, but because it was really hard. It was very slow for me to read. Um, and I just ran out of time, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, Pete kind of alluded to the fact uh, that the language was hard for me. I have a kind of a hard limit when it comes to invented languages. And usually it comes up in fantasy. Like I have a low tolerance for invented words and names with too many consonants and apostrophes in uh, high fantasy literature. But it is also typically an issue for me in cyberpunk, which in general is a genre that I enjoy, but I enjoy it in visual rather than uh, written. Uh, format, I think. Like, I'm a big fan.
2: Like, the the techno jargon uh, way of speaking in a lot of the cyberpunk genres, you know, it it flows a lot better when you hear it rather than seeing it written out.
0: And frequently when I'm hearing it, there's a visual thing that I can kind of attach to it. Like, The Matrix is one of my favorite movies. I enjoy it a lot. Um, And I can recognize this book as being sort of the written, um, like, precursor to that movie but also i just found the the language and the speech to be pretty impenetrable there's
1: also a huge Um, difference between seeing a person hand like a weird stick to another person say like here's the data and then seeing it written like he handed the data stick and slotted it in his troads blah 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 blah. like there's just so many things that visually appear in a film that you're like that looks cool seeing it on the page if you're not like down with the the jargon it's like uh, what are are what are we doing
0: I also think this one suffers a little bit from the fact that it was one of the first uh, cyberpunk things written, and everything after this has learned from it and improved on it, so Mm -hmm. it feels very dated.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a lot easier to to quote-unquote fool your brain when you're watching something rather than reading something, because obviously if you're reading about the credit stick, that's literally all you're thinking about. Whereas if you got a movie going on, there's everything in the background and all you know, all the cinematography, on top of the fact that they're handing a credit stick going on. So it's it's a little a little more of a fool your brain mentality.
1: Mhm. I I almost disagree, Martha. Like I mean, obviously this is an opinion situation. Um, but the idea, like, I was shocked at how not dated some aspects of it were. Um, like I agree that everything that has come after has improved on it. But so much of, like, the, ba- like, some parts are silly, like, do you have a modem because I need to hack into the internet is, like, feels dated now. Um, but other parts, like, still felt, it- it- it's like, I, s- like, there there are enough parallels that I'm like, I get this, I get what's going on. Um, but I-, I agree that, like, everything coming after has improved on it. Like, Snow Crash is a far better cyberpunk book that took all the ideas in here and did it better and then like subverted them all
2: but it I, yeah. I would i would equate it to like you know reading shakespeare and you know versus reading a book now it's like yeah I would, he introduced a lot of you know a lot of things that people hadn't heard before in, in the language and it just might have seemed a little bit awkward the way it was used the first time but by the time it becomes part of the lexicon it flows
1: a lot easier
0: yeah don't tell bill that i like snow crash more than Neuromancer, because he might divorce me over that one <laughs>
1: I I will definitely support you on that one. Snow Crash is the better one. <laughs>
0: um, but I'm I'm interested to if, talk if about Bill's this. If Smart, book.
1: he's
2: never leaving you for anything. Just
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I have that on record. Right. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm interested to talk about this one in uh, the context of our discussion topic. Um, I had I so. When when we tend to think of vice, um, and I know I know I listed this one as our fourth topic and we our fourth question and we can come around back to it, um, but I think we tend to think of vice as being something that people are addicted to, um, that is kind of extra to their lives, like drugs or gambling, as we will talk about, um, in a little bit. Uh, But here we have somebody who is addicted to his work. Uh, mm-hmm. Like his, his work has become his vice because like they mentioned drugs a couple of times in the book, but those are like, not the point. Um, I think that our, our character case, I think his main vice is the fact that he's addicted to hacking.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, is the that drugs fair is to
2: say? S- the drugs are just used as a, as an aid or an accessory.
1: Right.
0: They're, yeah, they're and almost then just
1: flavor to the world.
0: Yeah, until uh, his until Armitage, his employer, like gives him a new pancreas and makes him so that he can't get high, he he gets a little pissy about that, which I thought was funny. Um, But I guess what what do we think about that particular role for this vice, like having it be, uh, because being addicted to work, I think, is a real thing that people actually deal with
2: for sure yeah there there are definitely people like the 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 uh, type a personality whatever you want to call it you know that they definitely get absorbed in in their jobs so i, I think it's a, it's a i don't necessarily know if it would, if i would say it was a vice because i like my my definition what i would def- define the difference between a vice and an addiction is a vice is something that you want to do and you do you know on your own whereas an addiction is something that maybe you wanna do it, maybe you don't, but you can't not do it.
0: Can they be the same thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, a vice can definitely turn into an addiction for sure,
0: mm-hmm, so Pete, with that in mind, why what was your thinking when you picked when you picked neuromancer for this episode so
1: i I wanted it both because of the surface layer vices that are like throughout um you know the the drug use et cetera um and even, like, there's there's a lot of, like, body modification vice going on. Um, there is a character... Mm, uh, pause. Not, not like repo. <laughs> well,
0: no, I just... There is a lot of body mod in Neuromancer, but it struck me as being very utilitarian body mod. Like, it was mods that people were getting to enhance other functions, but not really for... Like when you talk about body modification as a vice, it's like then the mod itself becomes the thing. And like for for Molly, her body modifications were all to make her better at her job. Oh, to- totally agree. Well, we didn't
2: see we didn't see in this book the uh, the upper echelon of society. Perhaps they are using body mod type, and
1: you know. We 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 see them in the space station and they they totally are. Uh like yeah, not not, yeah. not to like grow horns or stuff, but to get like, you know,
2: change the color of their eyes or whatever. Yeah, or... yeah,
1: melatonin implants to get like cool hand designs or whatever
2: so because we're in the underbelly in this movie you see more of the the
1: utilitarian type body mods okay um and, and obviously nowhere near like what repo's doing <laughs> um, yeah not not at all no so uh but like so i i liked all that but then i also did like the idea that like in this for, for case at least hacking is a vice the internet is a vice and i thought that that was an intro like you know 2018 that's a highly resonant idea um that either like addiction to the to work or addiction to the internet are I think they are vices or they can be um, I definitely subscribe to the importance of a work life balance and if your life is suffering because you are only working that's bad um, yeah we meet case so the... do
0: we see do we see case ever and this is me admitting my ignorance uh, do we see case ever hacking for the th- Not because it's for a job, but just because he is compelled to do so. Like, do we ever see him hacking independently or outside of... His own free
2: time, just surfing the
0: Matrix? He he
1: does, but it's all related to... Like, he, he, like, on his own free time, like, looks up Armitage and finds out information about him. Or, like, looks into Wintermute. So it's all connected to the plot. Um, But it's
0: not... You never see him not, watching Netflix or anything. Right, exactly. He's not on he's not on the clock when he's doing that.
1: R- I mean, in the sense that he's always on the clock cuz like he's on retainer, no, yeah, but like I I get what you mean and no. You know, he's like You he, know what I mean? I do. Like he's it's not he's,
0: recreational though.
1: Right, like it's not recreational. Friend. It's like, "Yo, who's my employer?" cuz I don't want to get burned by this guy.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of just a, a I mean it is a it is a work related thing because he's a guy that he's working for and he
1: wants to make sure that he's not getting screwed. Right, but he's not getting paid for it. Yeah.
0: Okay. So then would we would we call his hacking then more of an addiction than a vice?
2: I would think so myself and based on my personal definition, I think pretty much anything can be a vice or an addiction depending on the person. Sure. So- and I, I think that you, I think you can switch back and forth almost to you know depending on you know if you let it take over your life between the two as well. So,
0: well, and I think that it's I think it's the vice nature that causes him. So when we meet him, he is unable to be hacking because his uh, neuro pathways were burned out. Yes. I think
1: correct. Yeah, correct. using some toxin or
0: something. Um, so it is kind of in seeking to repair that that he falls back into this criminal criminal lifestyle is that too is that too trite to say (laughs) Um, so
1: so speaking of that i think that like it's it's not just the hacking i think it's the hacking gives him a certain like thrill and like adrenaline that is what his vice really is and like the hacking is just his preferred method to do it But when we first meet him and he's unable to hack, he's in a downward spiral where he's going to get himself killed as he's just sort of like grinding through like criminal stuff. Um, And I think that he's like he almost says it. I don't know if it's explicit or I just read into it that he was doing it because it was the closest he could get to the thrill of uh, like a hacking run. Um, And also like he was definitely self-destructive and going to like, you know, suicide by street as it were.
0: Yeah. Uh, would you compare that high to, say, a gambler's high?
1: Ooh, you know, <laughs> I might agree with that segue.
0: I'm the queen of segues. Uh, so, Pat, why don't you tell us a little bit about the movie you had us watch? Um, it was
2: 1987, I believe, uh, a release called Rounders. It was uh, early in the career of both Matt Damon and uh, Edward Norton, who play the two leads. Uh, 1998. Real quick, real quick, part, yeah, yeah, ninety-eight. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. It's it's about um underground gamblers, poker players, um, and you know the, the the attempt to get out and the attempt to get back in, and you know how how it basically it's all about one one kid's rise and fall and uh and reemergence as a an underground winner in in the poker games. It's a little bit more than that, but that's that's the basic just. You know, and he and his best friend, who was just a complete uh degenerate uh (laughs) cheater, and (laughs) trying trying to save him from himself.
0: So, Pat, when you picked this movie, I'm trying to find the email because you called it like the preeminent film for professional gamblers,
2: the the, the magnum opus.
0: Magnum (laughs) opus, why is that? Why,
2: um, well. First of all, for everybody that plays poker for a living or even recreationally, um, they've all seen this movie. It's um, you. I mean, just like any other profession, if there's a movie about your profession, you know, you want to watch it, you know, no matter what it is. You know, like, I mean, every teacher probably seen Stand By Me, I'm sure. And, yep. or not stand sure. by me, stand and deliver and, you know, yep. lean on me and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's like you you take an interest in a movie that's about your profession. So obviously everybody that plays poker has seen every poker movie and it's pretty much unanimous that this is the best poker movie out there. I wouldn't say that this is an amazing movie on its own, but I would agree that of the poker movies, it's probably the best one. Um, It's got the most well-rounded characters. It's the most realistic, despite some scenes in it that are a little bit over the top. You know, I mean, they use a lot of the proper lingo and, you know, and, and a lot of the settings look like places I've been to before. So
1: it helps also to have a super stacked cast.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean this this movie has Matt Damon, Edward Norton, uh Peter Jensen, uh Martin Landau, uh, Gretchen Wall. Malkovich? Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Yeah. <laughs> John Malkovich. I mean, it, this this cast is, you know, it, it's a it's a great cast and everybody, you know, plays their roles well. There's a little bit of contention about, you know, John Malkovich's, you know, overacting as Teddy K G B the guy who runs one of the underground rooms. Um, he's a Russian guy that's connected to the, you know, to supposedly, you know, according to the script, he's connected all the way up to the Russian mob. So they call him Teddy KGB. Cause I mean, that's one of the fun facts about, uh, underground poker is it's not so much nowadays that poker is a little bit more mainstream, but mainstream, but back in the day, everybody had a nickname because nobody wanted their full name used all the time. So like everybody's got nicknames. And so it's calling somebody Teddy, K- Teddy KGB is very realistic. I mean, there's a guy that we nicknamed Bow and Arrow Brian, for instance, because that's what he does for a living. He makes bows and arrows. He's a Fletcher.
0: Huh. Yeah, Pat, you used to or continue to deal professional poker?
2: Um, yeah, I, I worked. I've worked in professionally um, and in legal casinos and illegal underground card rooms. Both. Uh, I continue uh, at this point. Texas does not have legal gambling, so I am working in an underground card room at the moment. I mean, no, I don't mean like immediate moment, but like, you know, I am, I run a poker room. I'm the general manager of a room here in Houston.
0: So, do you find rounders to be pretty similar to your experience in the rooms that you've run or worked in? in a
2: lot of ways, yeah. Um, some ways it's a little bit more Hollywood. Like, you know, when, you know, when people owe you money, you can't go around beating them up because, you know, you'll get arrested sure. for racketeering. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's, right. a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Hollywood fantasy thing. You know, it's like when people owe you money, you're pretty much just, you know, you don't have a whole lot of recompense, you know. You can't you can't call the cops and you can't get a lawyer. You know, you just kind of got to lean on them until they finally pay you. But you sure. can't you can't get it, You know, you can't beat them up. That's not that, you know. There's none of that. You know, meeting somebody in the bathroom and you know and punching them, beating them up, and taking all the money on them. That doesn't happen. <laughs> I wish, believe me, I wish. So as far as the actual poker scenes, I mean, they you know, other than you know the fact that we have actual dealers you don't deal to yourself yeah they're pretty realistic cool
0: one of the things i thought was interesting was the difference between matt damon and uh will or not will edward ed norton's characters <laughs> um because i think that it's pretty obvious that they're set up to be sort of two sides of this coin mm-hmm. like they are both um would you call them professional or amateur gamblers
2: oh they're professional
0: yeah. Any, okay. Anytime, so anytime probably,
2: you make the majority of your income through poker, you, you, whether, you, whether you're good or bad, you're still a professional player.
0: Yeah, so they're both professional poker players. Um, I believe that Matt Damon is a better player than Ed Norton, but he has more scruples about it. Yeah, so you have Ed, Ed Norton, Norton cheats.
2: Yeah, Ed Norton yeah, is the better cheat, and, and Matt Damon is the better card player, yeah.
0: And I think that Ed Norton is more on the addict side of of this vice coin. Like, yeah, ma- he is
2: what, what we refer to in the industry as a degenerate. There's a, we, <laughs> you deal with a lot of them. I mean, it's just, there are guys that are just, you know, they're, they're the, they're the, the, the roaches of the seedy underbelly of the already underground poker scenes. <laughs> like when you're the, when you're the low of the low, you know, that, yeah, that, there's a lot of guys like that. They'll, they'll just do anything to get more money to play on. You know, it's like they'll beg and borrow and steal just to, you know, to get $100 just to buy in and try to, win. you know, try to turn that $100 into $1,000. And 95% of the time, they just turn that $100 into zero.
0: And when we meet Matt Damon, he's not currently playing... Uh, He's not playing poker. He's promised Gretchen Mole that he won't. Mm -hmm. Um, And he misses it. He clearly does because he's good at it. And I think he had aspirations to be on... uh, Like, he had aspirations for bigger time games than he was playing in. But he doesn't really seem to be sweating it the same way that I would... Like, he seems fine until Ed Norton rolls out of prison and is like, Hey, come play poker with me again. Um... One of the things that I really, one of the things that I read into his character is that by the end he is dropping out of school and going to Vegas to play poker all the time, but I don't know that he's happy about doing that.
2: I I, th- I think he just almost feels uh feels trapped as far as like you know this is what I this you know whether I want to get out of this or not this is what I'm good at and this is what you know this is what yeah the universe seems to have picked for me
1: yeah so. and like his yeah. his professor rabbi person. Um, definitely I think his, his anecdote reinforced that idea of like, it's what you're good at. It's what you're best at. So you should embrace that.
2: And like, you know, the, the, the very poignant line that his law professor gives him, you know, he's like, he asks him, you know, if you added to do all over again, would you make the same choice? And he says, what choice?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, And that's, that's kind of where he, where he ends up. He's like, well, I don't have a choice. This is what I'm good at. This is, you know, this is what I have to do
0: which Which is interesting because i I wonder if the movie is positing that he does like he can choose and has chosen before not to be involved with that, and so it it is a it is his choice that he's kind of acquiescing to to that, whereas you have Ed Norton for whom it is clearly no longer a choice like this is his addiction and you know he he makes stupid decisions because they're the only decisions he feels like they're the only decisions he knows how to make at this point. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, he's just one of those guys. There there are people and and you can watch it happen. Um, I've seen it too many times that, that their addiction is not to the gambling; their addiction is to the losing.
0: Like, huh. they oh, that's don't even, Interesting. They, interesting yeah. they don't
2: even realize it themselves, but they get that little bit of a rush of you know. They, they won't stop until they've lost every dollar because they're addicted to that feeling of, you know, oh, my God, everything's gone. What did I do? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and then then they have to scramble and they have to live on the edge and that kind of thing. And that's what they're addicted to. I mean, they, they have they have no uh, – in poker, there's a thing called outs. That's what – you know, the cards that can you can hit to save you. And, you know, that's kind of become a, a poker vernacular in life among poker players you say that guy's got no outs you just say you know like in life you know he's got no outs (laughs) he's not he's not going to win you know and you're not even talking about poker you're just talking about life he's just not going to win because he's addicted to losing
0: so it's addicted it's it's like an addiction to seeking the win rather than addiction to winning exactly or or the more frequently you you lose you got to keep gambling
2: and keep gambling and keep pushing it until you finally get to that point where you know I mean, it doesn't matter if they bought it for a hundred and they've turned it into a thousand, they turn it into two thousand. They're not going to get up until they're broke because they're like, oh, I'm, you know, they're just going to keep gambling and keep gambling until they finally lose it. Hmm. I've seen I've, I've seen it thought... hundreds of times. If not Yeah, i never
0: thought of it that way. You tend to think of you te- you tend to think of a gambling vice as being somebody who is seeking or is addicted to the rush that you feel when you win. But I'd never thought of it as.
2: Yeah. A... Some. Some people, Being addicted I mean, to
0: like
1: the the it's, rest it's, of, it's the it's like a
2: self-esteem kind of thing, yeah. Because they don't want to feel good. They 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 hate themselves and they don't want to win and feel good. They have to. They don't even know it in their own head, but that's what's going on in their wiring. They have to keep going until they lose because they feel like they don't deserve to win.
0: Huh.
2: I mean, it's a real thing. I see it. I see it. Sure. All the time. I mean, I, I've seen guys. I've seen guys lose all their money. And then beg for, beg for twenty dollars so they can buy gas to get home, and then they come in three days later, they've scrounged together another hundred dollars, and I I've literally watched this happen. A guy ran that, uh, that hundred dollars up to like uh, twenty-eight hundred dollars, and it's, and we we actually pulled him aside and said, "Man, get up! You need this money. This is you know this is going to change your life right now. You need this. You can you know, you can buy a used car. You can get a house. You know whatever because he's living in a hotel." And he's like, "Oh, I will, I will," you know, and and he just sits there. And then four hours later, he's broke. Hmm.
0: One of the things that I um, thought was interesting about rounders was that gambling tends to be a vice that that gets a very kind of glamorous portrayal in pop culture, Mm -hmm. like the whole Vegas high rollers and like fancy cocktail dresses and like this very—it's—it's like an upper class vice like right. the people well, they're, they're, who do it it's it's like they, a I'm, classy
2: yeah 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 because uh, it's not really all that great to make a movie out of the guy who lost all his money and is now at the pawn shop trying to sell his wedding ring
0: but that's <laughs> you know, kind of what you want to watch the movie about the rounders, guy? that's kind yeah. of what rounders is though like rounders it's, is not it's not glitzy like even when they go to atlantic city it's a little bit ugly yeah and Which that's one I... of the
2: reasons why every, you know people, real poker players like this movie, because it's a little more realistic. It's...
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, we all know that, you know, it, it doesn't always happen where you win enough money that the casino gives you the penthouse suite to stay in. You know, every, every single tournament, there's hundreds of people that enter and only one guy makes all the money. So there's, well, you know, and... 95, you know, 98% of the people that play the tournament lost money. Sure, and, sure. You, make movies about those guys (laughs) right
0: um so i just i just thought that that was fascinating because even though i think intellectually we understand that generally vices are not good and addictions are bad um i think that hollywood tends to portray them in with sort of rose-colored glasses and i appreciated that we got a movie about gambling that was a little bit more grounded
2: well, I mean that's one that's one of the odd things about gambling It's one of the few vices that I mean you can get lucky and something good can come out of it. You can make money i mean you know i mean if if you if if your vice is heroin, you know there's never going to be a point where you buy a, a bag of heroin and there's you know two thousand dollars inside the bag
1: sure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you if right. you
2: spend money on heroin you guess what all you're going to have is heroin and a heroin high you know but gambling that's one of the reasons why it's it's so addictive to a lot of people is because. There, there will be moments where you're going to make money. Mm-hmm. No but no matter how bad you are, sometimes you're going to get lucky.
0: I'm going to turn us now to a movie where no one is lucky. I am on, you I am are on, fire, fire, on fire with my segues today. <laughs> uh, so I assigned the 2008 operatic masterpiece, Repo the Genetic Opera, uh, directed by Darren Lynn Bozeman and starring uh, Anthony Stewart, the head, Paul Sorvino, Alexa Vega, and Britney Spears.
1: No, Britney Paris Spears. Hilton.
2: Paris Hilton.
0: Paris Hilton. So Cut close. That out, you were beat. so close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like, looking I at a cast Britney Spears? list. <laughs> no, it was Paris Hilton. Um. But this is a movie, it is a dystopian future where the world is suffering uh, endemic or systemic organ failures, Uh, and GeneCo is a uh, genetic medical company that has arisen, Uh, they create, uh, they grow lab-grown organs that they then sell to people on, they finance to people Uh, And if you get behind in your payments, uh, Repo Man comes and repossesses your organs. Uh, You have a couple of different players in the story. You've got the Largo family who controls Gene Co. Uh, Anthony Stewart Head plays their titular Repo Man. um, And Alexa Vega plays his daughter who is uh, sick with a genetic blood disease uh, which killed her mother. Uh, and all of these players come together in a sweeping climactic final number that is very reminiscent of like soapy Italian opera where everyone like comes to the end or comes together in the last scene and either everyone dies or everyone gets married. And I think this one is a little bit in between. It, it's that uh, like a Grand two.
1: Guggenau situation. Yes. Or however you pronounce that second word in that phrase.
0: Um this is not a good movie, but it is a movie that I love.
2: <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you said that because I
0: <laughs> No, it's not a good movie. Um, I think it has some really interesting things to say, uh, in terms of its relationship to our theme, uh, people have developed addictions to both surgery and also the anesthetic, uh, that you, um, this anesthetic called Zydrate, which, uh, you can develop from you know the the medical science here gets real weird but you see people extracting it from the uh, brain cavities of dead people um as you do yes science so, Par- yes paris hilton's character is addicted to surgery um you have characters that are addicted to sex you have characters everybody in this movie has a vice um except arguably alexis vega or alexa vega um that's
1: because she's a cypher who has no actual anything
0: correct <laughs> yeah,
2: she, she, she's a bubble boy yeah girl yeah hard, um, hard to develop a vice when you never leave your bedroom
0: yes uh but yeah it was this your guys first time watching this movie it
2: it... I didn't watch it before on my own, I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I remember when this came out, um I was in college and I had like people talking about it and they were mostly like they were positive about it, but also in the like if you like rocky horror, you'll probably like this. Um and I take I,
0: offense at that because I
1: don't like rocky horror. <laughs> I, I mean it, it's it's not a if you don't like it then you it won't is, like it, but, um, they are
0: related. They are related.
1: Like I I never saw it then. I got it like when you assigned them. I'm like cool, I'll get a chance to see it. Uh, yeah it's a little bit of a seeing is believing situation i agree with this, you that this it...
2: movie made me question why we're friends more
1: than <laughs> visually visually this is a nine inch nails and an evanescence music video had a baby <laughs> with rocky horror but like also with saw and none of it's good but it's kind of fascinating
2: and then and, and a and then a 14-year-old kid who had seen Blade, like, 12 times yes. decided he was going to write a version of, of really, that movie.
1: <laughs> really, the, the thing that almost upset me the most about this is that, like, I mean, I apparently there was, like, a four-hour cut of this movie. I did not watch that. Uh-huh. Um,
0: I didn't know that, actually. Yeah,
1: I I, I watched the— I didn't the... know that. <laughs> I didn't
0: know that I would want to watch
1: that. <laughs> my, my, my take I is that— I kind of
0: feel like the 90 minutes are enough. Like, uh-huh. 90
1: minutes are almost too much, but, like, fine, we can get through 90. I— the way it's it's edited makes me feel that like all the various comic interstitial scenes might be like summarizing those parts that got cut for time, and I loved those comic scenes um, visually speaking. And every time they popped up, I was like, "Man, I kind of just wish this was a graphic novel." Uh, so, because because yeah, I agree with you, Martha. General... There's there's cool ideas in it, just with a they veneer of like, it 90s a graphic doll. novel, didn't they?
0: I'm not sure I know that they did th- I know they made the comic uh the comic cutscenes because those were bits that they couldn't afford to actually film oh sure um, so pat when i when I informed you both what I was picking for my homework, you complained that I was making you watch something with Paris Hilton in it.
2: Well, I had never heard of this movie. So first thing I did was look at it on IMDb and I saw her in the cast list.
0: <laughs> well, and I, I just want to say that I would like to put in a positive note for her role in this movie, because I, I think that what she's doing is making fun of the public perception of herself because the the character that she's playing is this like high society uh you know, rich bitch, obsessed with surgery, um obsessed with uh, you know, how people are seeing her, which I think can be seen as a commentary on public perception of Paris Hilton herself and is a little bit making fun of herself in a way that I wouldn't have given her credit for being able to do.
2: I think paris Hilton is is smarter than she likes to let on
0: absolutely
2: <laughs> but that doesn't excuse me from not liking the public persona she has developed sure so, you know it that may be your goal is to you know to act you know like, like the vacuous you know millionaire princess but that doesn't make it you know that doesn't give it any kind of uh gravitas or any kind of you know it doesn't make it just fine like
0: no, and I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that when I saw this movie it was the first it was kind of the first inkling that I had that she understood more how people were perceiving her and that it might be more intentional than like reality.
2: Well, I, and think I her, show, her show the surreal life, well, not the surreal life. What was it that she used to do with um with what's your with Nicole Richie? Oh, Ritchie? the
0: simple the simple Simple life? life,
2: yeah. I think that show pretty much showed that she knew Exactly how to manipulate everything because you could tell she was playing a character, and that I mean, no. Uh, I button. never
0: actually watched that one.
2: I, I the only thing I've only seen uh, bits and pieces from watching Talk Soup with Joel McHale,
0: so <laughs> so it's not <laughs> oh, like sure. I'm, you know,
2: I'm not some kind of expert on the show, but I'm just saying the the clips I've seen on that show, it, it it looks pretty obvious that she knows she's playing a character. Mm-hmm. I mean, like kind of like the you know the Stephen Colbert character on the Colbert Report, you know? I mean, you know, it's it's almost like she. She no she she's playing the character and, and almost throwing a wink at the you know at the camera in a way. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Nicole Ritchie's playing a character. I think she really is dumb. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the question I'd like to ask you guys about this one is that like a lot of operas, Repo could be seen as a morality play. Like you have Shiloh who is a cipher for all that is good, uh, versus <clears throat> these forces in the world that are kind of stand-ins for all that is, e- not evil, but like bad about humanity. Um, except that usually in morality plays, the people who are bad get punished, and the people who are good get rewarded. But I don't think Repo works that way. I was wondering what you guys thought of that kind of lens for looking at the movie.
2: Well, my first gut instinct is that the, the guy... The, the play of the grave digger who one of the guys responsible for the screenplay and for the stage production and everything i think he basically just doesn't understand basic storytelling so, <laughs> so i think the whole like you know the bad guys need to you know need to have repercussions or whatever by the it just he's just like nah i yeah
1: i i feel like it's um it's like a goth opera, and I think that might even have been used in its, uh, like, promotional materials, possibly. Um, and I think that kind of informs it, Where and by goth I mean, like, more like a hot topic idea of what goth might be, where, like, we're going to be edgy by having these other things, like, by not conforming to your ideas, man. Um, yeah. And that, I, I like your idea of, like, I, it probably is a morality play, or it's supposed to be, but it doesn't work out.
0: I think it's an amorality play. I think it's pretty intentional uh, that the the people who are bad don't really get punished. Um, I mean, know, like the, about the it, big
1: bad dies, like Paul Servino, like does die. Anthony Stewart but that, Head. But that
2: wasn't that wasn't due to any kind of um, character development or character anybody. Nobody killed him. He just oh. died of natural causes.
1: Yeah, that's also because Shiloh has literally no agency in this entire movie. So of course she doesn't get to like kill him. Right. No, she, she kills. He doesn't get to do anything really. Yeah, the whole... yeah. She she is pulled around a lot.
0: Yeah. Um. Until the ending, when she says, "No, f all of you, I'm I'm leaving," which is kind of the ultimate. After everything's already done. Yeah, yeah. but she has somebody saying, "Like, here are the keys to the kingdom," basically, and she says, "No." Nah. Like she's.
2: But then that, she, again, that's her, her her action by inaction. She has an opportunity to actually do something. She's like, no, I'm not going to even do that. I'll just walk away. Uh,
0: <laughs> I don't know that I agree with that. Um,
2: I mean, you could. she had the opportunity to enact real change, take over the company and do something. And she's like, no, I'm just going to go live back in my bedroom again or whatever the hell she's leaving to go do.
0: Well, but she's also, you know, she... Could, but also she's looking at a company that is kind of swamped in the rest of the Largo family, and she's only 17. So I feel like there's a chance Alexander
2: she... the Great was only 15.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, but <laughs> I think it's entirely possible that she looked at that and said, I've been controlled by my dad my entire life. I don't want to walk into another situation where I can be controlled by other people again. I'm just going to peace out. Her, her I don't exit, blame
2: her for doing it. Not at all. I'm just saying, you know.
0: Her exit
1: is definitely shot as like a um a celebratory success. Like it is like, yeah, good job. You're free to leave now and do whatever you want with your life. Um. So I, I agree with you, Martha, that like it is it, it's framed and built and shot as a positive like success story for her.
0: Um, And yeah, I guess where I was where I was going with my earlier question is that. I think what I want to say about repo is that rather than it being a comment, rather than it being a morality play about the characters that are in the movie, that it's more a morality play about the vices of people in general.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Because we're, we're talking about like addiction to uh, art, like artificially manufactured physical perfection, um, as well as drug addiction, which are both very human and very pop-culturally nurtured vices. Um, and at the end of the movie, we still do have a, a remaining status quo of... I mean, as far as we know, there's there's no indication that Gene Co. is going to change uh, what they're doing. Um, and there's also no real indication that people want Gene Co. to change what they're doing, because even though they are you know, repossessing people's organs in this really horrific way, they're still providing people with, uh, surgically modified, uh, physical perfection, which no one really seems to give any, any indication that they would like to stop receiving. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, ju- just like Shiloh, you know, the entire audience it sits there and watches everything develop, and you know, and doesn't take part in it at all. Like even when you know they're you know they're crying out, you know, come help me, whatever, blah, blah. blah they don't do anything. So I mean, they're just,
0: mm-hmm.
2: they're 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 just as guilty, yeah. Mhm.
0: Uh, so looking at our, I, I guess, are there any macro statements we want to make? Uh, looking at all of our homework. Well, before
2: of- before we move on, the only thing I'm going to say sure. about repo, and it has nothing to do with our topic. But the, pro- okay. the biggest problem I had with this movie is you—you you can't turn a movie into a musical simply by just singing the dialogue. You have to write songs. And that was well. My it's big not
0: a—it's—it's it's not a musical. <laughs> it's an opera, and I don't mean that to be facetious.
2: Right? Yeah. Yeah. I—I—I I, I, I get that they were going for the whole like you know Italian opera. You know, we sing every line. But I just—I guess yeah. All right. It,
0: it didn't
1: work for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, it didn't work for me. I guess as the point. Well,
0: and we can we can talk about whether or not the dialogue is successful or the music is successful, but I do think stylistically, like they're, they're going for opera rather than musical. So. Yeah, I yeah, guess that makes
2: I... a little more sense. All right, but still, Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: and again, <laughs> I, I think that musically we can, there's a discussion to be had about how successful they are in matching music to dialogue. <laughs> <For> <laughs> not sure. much of a discussion yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't do it. Discussion over. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so one of the things that I was interested in when I when I picked this theme, um, and we we Pete, you and I may get into this a little bit more next week when we talk about our follow up topic, was because in general I think we think of vice as being not a bad thing because we all have vices. I mean, you know, when you when you get down to it, like eating. Eating sugary foods or drinking soda can be thought of as vice, mm-hmm. so they're not good things. Um, but they are also vice. Yeah, very very be, rarely
2: is vice like giving to charity,
0: <laughs> right? Um, but they they do tend to be things that are glorified in some way in pop culture. Like there's the glamorous vision of professional gamblers, or like even when people are drug dealers, it's like we also get to see their um, like incredibly expensive homes and fancy cars and well, like I he's mean, really... how much
2: of a hero is scarface to everybody you know so many people.
1: So that that's interesting. like we, we all chose definitely like sexy vices and not only that but like sexy presentations of those vices. Um, repo a little bit aside because like Paris Hilton's face comes off uh, but like it's supposed to be sexy. Um, I was considering for a while assigning some episodes of the wire until I realized that I think the wire would be terrible for this format of podcast. Um, since you need to watch, like, an entire season to really, like, feel it yeah, all. You, you can't, yeah, you um, can't pick and
2: choose an episode of The Wire. Right, yeah. right,
1: exactly. Um, but I, like, that's a good sort of counterpoint where, like, it, it it is a very deep and in-depth investigation into specific vices, and it almost never appears glamorous. Um, and, and but that's one of the few instances like that and other David Simon things where... The vice is like portrayed in a non-glamorous way. I think that often it is, um, you know, if not glamorous, at least portrayed as cool.
0: Well, and I think part of that is the lure of the forbidden, and also the wish fulfillment uh, aspect of popular culture. Like frequently, or not wish fulfillment, but escapist. Mm-hmm. Like I can watch I can watch American Gangster with Denzel Washington and be like, oh man, I wish I lived in his house without really committing to the idea that if I lived in his house, I would be complicit in drug dealing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I think popular culture gives us a, a distance so that we can like appreciate and admire the fancy parts of vice without committing to like, dealing with the realities mm-hmm. of them well,
2: it, yeah it's the same reason like cop shows are so popular because you know you get to watch all the adrenaline action without actually being a cop <laughs> similar but you know, yeah for sure I, yeah i mean we,
0: well and it, we we have spent the last couple episodes pat talking about anti-heroes and it's the same kind of deal. Like I can I can understand intellectually that Tony Soprano is a terrible person, while also still being like, man, he lives in a really nice house.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and we talked last episode too about how so many anti-hero dumb feels like wish fulfillment. Like on screen, um, I can't go and beat a guy, but like you know Tony Soprano can, and like isn't that like a thrill to watch it? Um, and it's probably similar to here. Like, first off, I can't, like, do what they do in rounders because I'm not good at poker. But even if I <laughs> did get that good at poker, like, I still would not live that lifestyle because it's one that, like, doesn't... Like, it, it's one that I wouldn't want to be living, but it also looks cool when I'm watching, like, Matt Damon do it.
2: Well, one of the best sayings about uh, playing poker for a living is uh, it's a it's a hard way to make an easy living.
1: Mm-hmm. Which uh, John Turturro's character sort of, like, embodies pretty well and has some good lines about.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and he's, the, he's the guy that, you know, that I deal to every day, that, you know, that plays all the time, never makes a fuss, never, ne- never causes a scene, but always wins two or three $400 and leaves without saying anything. <laughs>
1: hmm
2: <clears throat> I mean, there are guys out there that, that literally do make, I mean, not many of them, but there are guys out there that make a successful living playing in the underground card rooms
0: and i think the um the last point that i want to make and you know you, if if you guys have other things you want to say please don't let this uh limit you but i think that what stories about vice do for us as you know pop culture consumers is they let us um they let us experience the good parts and then also take satisfaction when those people who are embroiled in vice or addiction get punished for that, so like we get we get both sides of it in the story, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting thing to think about as a as a consumer because it's like I'm taking enjoyment or I, yeah I'm getting enjoyment from watching this. Um, there's a word that I'm looking for. Vicariously. I'm getting enjoyment from living kind of vicariously through this character, but then I also get to feel satisfaction when they are punished for doing this bad thing. Mm -hmm.
2: A little bit of the old schadenfreude.
0: Yeah. Which makes us kind of complicit in a way that is interesting to think about. I'm not sure ultimately what point I'm trying to make, just that it's an interesting relationship that we end up having to the characters in these stories. Either either we get to be satisfied when they are punished and brought to justice or we get to be satisfied when they are rehabilitated
2: well, like That's a- an interesting thing to american uh, celebrity subculture that actually has been studied it's like as someone rises in popularity in america in, in pop culture especially you know people start to you know kind of fall in love with them but as they get as they reach a certain Point of celebrity, people start to resent them,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and like you know, and then and then the backlash starts in, and like you, you know, either, you,
0: yeah 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 exactly. You <laughs> died die the hero. Yes.
1: I I'm really glad that Martha said two words, and all of us filled in the entire rest of that quote. <laughs> <laughs> and I I think part of it too. So, sort of comes from like the the moralizing in a way of like American culture where like card playing is one thing because that's viewed as like an acceptable vice so like Matt Damon who's not a cheat, he's just a good card player he does get to succeed at the end um, whereas Ed Norton who is a cheat gets punished um, <laughs> but like other in, in other you know, not necessarily these but in other media like you mentioned both Scarface and American Gangster, those are movies that show the rise but also the fall because like if someone is a you know a capital d drug dealer like cocaine whatever um we as a society like or we as a movie going populace want to see that life of luxury and the crazy things that are going on but i think we would all feel really bad if the movie ended with like yeah and then i was super successful and i never went to prison crime is awesome Um, it, it
2: ends with he is he, he has successfully laundered all his money and he now lives in, in Cuba right. doing just great.
1: Michael Cohen <laughs> bought a bunch of houses for him. He flipped them for a lot <laughs> more money. Uh, everything is is great. Um,
0: <laughs> so that differentiation between kinds of vices is interesting because I think there's also gradations within each vice category. Mm-hmm. Like, Pete, as you were talking, I realized that. OK, Um Disclaimer. I have never seen Breaking Bad, but also, but also, I don't know that there's any world in which Breaking Bad could have been written that did not end in, spoiler alert for the end of Breaking Bad, uh, Walt's eventual death, because meth, meth is not a sexy vice, right? Like meth is not a sexy drug in the same way that I think cocaine can be portrayed as.
2: The, the, the only good thing about meth is actually being on meth everything you know the the while you're high on meth that's amazing from what i've been told i've never done it <laughs> disclaimer never done it but you know talking to actual meth heads because yes in my profession i know meth heads
1: <laughs> well look because it's like like cocaine is for party people and everyone wants to be a party person but meth is for tweakers and nobody wants to be a tweaker
2: exactly
0: so I, w- I wonder if breaking Mad had been about him manufacturing cocaine if there had been a story path that resulted in him being I mean obviously he was still going to die from cancer uh but rehabilitated eventually in a way that because meth is not a sexy drug uh he w- he can't hmm. just just in a in a way that the american public would have found as satisfactory storytelling. Yeah,
2: yeah. Or I mean uh I full disclosure I didn't finish watching this series but uh the the series weeds she was a, a, a you know she sold marijuana how did how did she end up
0: I have no idea I've never seen it
2: Yeah <laughs> they, I, I stopped watching it after like the second season it got really stupid but right. I mean there was never a point where she got you know I I where where she got killed I'm sure you know I don't know though I mean I'm just right, saying right, no, cause, cause... to see yeah to, to see what how pe- how she was treated on the show Versus how he was treated on his show.
1: Because, like, back yeah. back when that show was coming out, Weeds, like, pot was cuspy. Like, it was it was illegal everywhere back then, but also it was like, eh, but everyone did it in college, so it's all fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. In a way that, like, meth and, and coke aren't, but especially meth.
2: Well, you couldn't yeah. do a weed show now, now that weed is mostly legal. Yeah,
1: it'd be a super yeah. boring show of someone trying to start up a dispensary in Colorado. Yeah, exactly.
2: that's all it is. Like, somebody trying to get a small business loan. Somebody to...
1: <laughs> Can't. Banks, banks won't do it. Right? Anyway.
0: Um, But yeah, this, um, we didn't really get into the kind of puritanical roots of American pop culture. This episode, we are saving it for next episode. Literally, good (laughs) Um, segue there. I'm telling you, I am on fire today. Uh, So next episode, we are going to be continuing this conversation uh, and talking about virtue uh and for our virtue topic pete why don't you tell us what you are assigning
1: (laughs) we're changing up the outro just to get that segue and i'm all for it um yeah i am assigning the arthur miller play the crucible um bonus extra credit homework if you want to watch the daniel day lewis movie and just see him to all of the scenery um but the actual homework proper is to read the play
0: Because we have not assigned a play. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis has become like the unofficial mascot of this podcast. And I don't know how I feel about that.
1: I'm all for it. Um, I love DDL.
0: I am assigning the 1999 Kevin Smith film Dogma. We're going to be joined by uh, Pete's friend, uh, Sarah Shaw, who is assigning Leif Enger's novel, Peace Like a River. That is uh, the end of our episode. Ah, uh, Pat. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been uh, quite a banger, I think. <laughs>
2: Thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. Good.
0: Ah, uh, where would you like people? Um, if you if you would like people to find you on the internet, where can they find you?
2: Uh, <laughs> do a basic search for forty going on fourteen on Google. We're on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry Talk Show. I don't. I don't do any of the outro stuff on our show. I refuse to help. You so. <laughs> know. Uh, just do a search for 40 going on 14 you can't miss us we're everywhere if you can't find us you're not looking hard enough we don't uh, We if, don't hide we're on everything so.
0: and if you enjoy our podcast I think it is fair to say that you would also enjoy 40 going on 14 uh, they are just okay. as pulp culturally obsessed as we are
2: a, a, a restrained version of me you'll go, go listen to that show <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was a gentleman today believe it or not
0: well we appreciate it uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and basically wherever else you can find uh, podcasts. You can visit our home on the web for some uh, supplementary commentary, extra articles, extra reading, or just listen to our episodes at uh, homeworkpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at dydyh Or email us with questions, comments, concerns, uh, ideas for future episodes at show at homeworkpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook. You can find me on the internet, uh, tweeting or posting photos on Instagram at magicalmartha. Lately, I have been posting a lot of outdoors photos because it's finally nice enough to go running outside, and I am deeply, deeply enjoying it. Uh, Pete. Pete, where people can find where can people find you <laughs>
1: um people can find me on twitter at pico 3000 where i'm talking politics pop culture um and yeah outdoor pictures because we went from winter to summer and i'm kind of okay with that
0: listen spring is a myth in the midwest yeah and definitely. it just doesn't happen I,
1: technically we went from third winter to summer so
0: yes Uh, This episode will be dropping the day after my birthday. So happy birthday to me. Uh, And with that, class is dismissed. And I hope you enjoy doing your homework.